continuing the biblical worldview and mindset series. The, the problem with a series like this is it can actually take us through the entire Bible <laughs> because the biblical worldview and mindset is, is the end result of internalizing all of the scriptures. Um, so I'm, I'm hoping that I'll get to an end here or some kind of a closure uh, in, in the next couple of weeks. <clears throat> we need to view reality from the perspective given to us by God in His Word. That requires that we have a working knowledge of His Word that has been internalized by our memorization and understood through our practice or our doing of the Word so that the Scriptures actually become a lamp unto our feet and a light to our path, as Psalm 119 says. Uh, we must be intentional about our commitment to have a biblical mindset as well, which is to humbly walk with our God according to His commandments and His guidance. And that is directly related to the idea of lordship. Now, we have, we have talked about several concepts within the biblical worldview. Among those, faith, hope, and love uh, that I addressed and their relationship we then looked a little bit at lordship and grace, the idea of God is our um, guide, He is our commander, He is our judge as Lord by creation and redemption. Uh, but He also favors us, and we are not to put those against each other. I am under grace, therefore I don't have to follow lordship, or I'm under lordship, therefore there is no grace. But grace is that favoring of God that is important. God's favor found in the Messiah and the gift of faith, the gift that we have that we trust Him, that brings to us a righteousness uh, unto salvation. And it is given to those who humbly seek the Lord. Cannot be earned by works. Cannot be the basis of pride because it's given to us. The one who receives that favor responds in praise and gratitude and a struggle towards obedience, which earns a righteousness of obedience, manifesting the knowledge of God and a benefit to other people. That righteousness of obedience is an accompaniment to the gift of faith that comes from God's favor. As James says, faith without works is dead. So we can struggle with obedience to God because the one who watches over us watches with favor and not condemnation. Uh, I'm always reminded of that at this time of year because um, while I believe my father, uh, my dad loved me, he was almost incapable of um, looking upon me without criticism. And so it became very difficult to try to even obey because even the obedience could get me in trouble. Uh, that is not how our Father is in heaven. He looks upon us as a Father who loves His children and gives them His favor and therefore, in a sense, cuts them slack as they're struggling to do the right thing. Uh, so if it's not quite exactly the perfect performance, it still is encouraged and it is still uh, appreciated, still rewarded to some extent because the intent is to grow in grace and in knowledge of the Lord and in obedience. Now I talked about grace being something that is given to us by humility. And I want to 
move forward from that humility uh, into the idea of the humility and the direction of life today. So I want to talk about how we humbly walk with God, as the passage in Micah uh, says. Uh, That walk with God that is based on His direction and not our direction. We live in in a Christianity now where everybody wants to do something great for God and they decide what they're going to do for God and then they ask God to bless it. Uh, That's not humble. That's American egotism. Uh, The idea is that we should say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. What would you have me do? Uh, Because our tendency, even what would Jesus do, is how can I be uh, like Jesus in terms of fame and and uh, influence, and the reality is we want to be like Jesus in his humility, which is what this this uh, message today is about. So I'm, we're going to look at a book that really addresses humility. Uh, if, if Ecclesiastes uh, helps us with eternal perspective, the book that gives us the best understanding of this path of humility, the walking with God in humility, is the book of Philippians. So I'm going to take out some key verses in the book of Philippians today and talk about those. Um, I hope you'll go back and look through the entire uh, book uh, later uh, to reinforce this. Philippians chapter 1, beginning around verse uh, 21. Uh, Paul uses a phrase here that many of us are familiar with this passage, but as is common, we're familiar with it out of context. So he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me, for I do not know which to choose. So if I stay in the flesh, I will be fruitful in my obedience and my labor for Christ, which is beneficial, but I also have this struggle To want to be with him. I am hard pressed from both directions. Having a desire to depart. To die. And be with Christ. That is very much better. It's it's better than this life. It's not the best. Which is the resurrection and the kingdom to come. But it's certainly better than this life. And those who have lived longer in this life. Know that better. He says, yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. So convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. You'll notice that his living on becomes selflessness because the selfish thing is to want to be with the Lord. But to stay on for the benefit of others is the choice that he is making. So he says, only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. In no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, because they're opposing you as you walk with God, but of salvation for you, because their oppression of you is an indication of your salvation, uh, which is from God. 
For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me, and now here to be in me. I want to look at those last two verses. I want you to look at them really careful. These are not the verses that we put on our uh, walls. There are verses we put on our walls. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. We like that verse. But this verse says, You it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in Him, that's the grace of God being given to you so that you believe in Him, but also to suffer for His sake. The pathway of this faith and lordship is a life of suffering. Suffering not only the temptation of the flesh and the opposition from the world and the deception of the devil. uh, But it is a path of self-denial which involves suffering. Now, suffering is avoided by most sentient creatures. We, We feel pain. We feel suffering. We don't like it. And therefore, we back away from it. So, this fire... If I get too close to this fire and it starts to heat up my hand, I back away because there's suffering and I don't like that. And so there is, a, there is a natural tendency built into us by God to avoid suffering, particularly unnecessary suffering. Why should I burn my hand? Right? But the danger is our culture has said There is no suffering that is really of value, and therefore we should avoid all kinds of suffering. Now, there is suffering we should avoid, but there is a suffering that has been granted for Christ's sake, not only for us to believe in Him, but to suffer for His sake. And this conflict, this calling to suffering, brings a conflict in us. The same conflict that Paul is talking about. When you encounter suffering For the gospel's sake. Staying faithful in a context that is just screaming for you to give up. All of the things that we engage uh, in in this life. There is a struggle to say, I just want to leave. Just get me out of here. Lord, haste the day when the faith shall be sight. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Or... You don't have to come for the rest of these guys. Get me out of here now. Let me go. Okay? And that's what Paul was saying. That conflict that he says that you have heard of me and you now see in me, you have as well when you begin to walk in this context and you experience the suffering. A desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better than this life, or to remain for the sake of your fellow believers to secure their faith, and to suffer for the sake of the Lord's name. Now this idea is almost gone in the American church, particularly in the free churches. But it is the heart of the path of walking with God for Judaism and Christianity, particularly those around the world who know this because of the rise of anti-Semitism and anti-Christianity that is going on in the world. Many of our brethren, Jews and Christians, who walk this path with God, humbly walking this path with God, are suffering. And that suffering brings into them this desire to just be dead and be with Christ, or 
They have a choice to stay and encourage and reinforce their brethren. And that is the choice that Paul made. Now that's an important thing for Jesus himself said in Matthew 5 uh, verses 10 to 12. Blessed are you when you are persecuted. When men say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. There is a benefit to staying and serving God in that context. It doesn't say blessed are those who avoid suffering. It says blessed are those who suffer. And that suffering is an important issue for us in terms of our own choice. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11 has a passage that has always fascinated me. In my younger days, the first part of this chapter The first part of the section I'm going to read was what I wanted to focus on. As I'm reaching uh, a level of maturity, I'm beginning to notice that the greatest part of this list is the latter part. So in verse 32, after talking about the patriarchs who walked with God, he says, and what more can I say, verse 32, for time would fail me if I tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Wow. Now, that is a positive message. You can take that message out there. Come to Jesus and every trouble that you face is going to end up going in your direction and you're going to end up having the victory. And there are giant mega churches that are filled with people who are at least claiming or pretending that they've got that victory. And there are some that get that, but they are not the blessed I've talked about this before. There's the now and later. You want your judgment now and your blessing later. You don't want your blessing now and your judgment later. And that's what the next part of this verse is. After it says women receive back their dead by resurrection, it says others were tortured not accepting their release. So that they might obtain a better resurrection. Those who suffer for the Lord ultimately and are martyred for the Lord have a better resurrection than those who get the victory here. Because whatever you get here is temporary. So I want the judgment here, it's temporary. I want the blessing there, it's permanent. Others experience mockings, scourgings, Chains and imprisonment, they were stoned, they were cut in half, they were tempted, they were put to death with the sword, they went about in sheepskins, in goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, men of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. Why? Because of persecution. All these, having gained approval through their faith, So it's not your result, 
It's your faith. That's why Paul says for me to live or to die, whether we live or die, whether we get the promise or we don't get the promise, whether we get the benefit or we don't get the benefit, it is the walk of faith that's important in this context. And so he says that God has provided something better for us so that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. God will complete us all in the resurrection. And Lazarus, who had a pretty great benefit of being raised from the dead, had to die again. And so his resurrection will be not as great as those who suffered and had a full resurrection that is permanent at the end, though he will have that as well. There is something in that that the scripture says the better resurrection are for those who suffer. The scripture says if we suffer with him, we will reign with him. And so this pathway of walking with God in humility is a humility of suffering. Well, how does that work? Well, that takes us to the second chapter. The second chapter, uh, I want to look at the first 18 verses uh, carefully so that we understand how this works. Because the example is to be like Christ. So if, if you want to wear one of those what would Jesus do bins, this is the chapter on what would Jesus do which is not usually the question that is asked. Therefore, if there be any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. He begins by saying, be in community. Be the body of Christ. Don't be individuals. Don't be hot shots. Be in community. Be of the same mind. Be part of one another. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. What? Man, if I don't blow my horn, who will, right? The whole American culture is just the opposite of this. But what did our master say? The one who will be great among you will be the servant of all. So he says, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look on your own interests, but on the interests of others. And now he's going to give us the example. The example is, have this mind or this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. So here comes our example. Our elder brother, the Lord Jesus, is going to be our example of how to walk with God. Who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. Now, whatever your view is of the relationship of the Father and the Son, historic, traditional, Trinitarian, Or some format of that. The idea is that he is the firstborn of all creation. He is the word of God made flesh. He is the son of God. And yet he didn't come down here and walk around like the son of God. He didn't think his equality with God something to be demonstrated and and proclaimed. By the way, do you know who I am? The scripture says he emptied himself 
taking on the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. This is what the incarnation is. He humbled himself not to be who he was in his fullness, but to be what he could be as a servant of us to, to obey his Father and to serve the creation uh, by his walk and by his death ultimately and by his resurrection. And then being found, verse 8, in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death on a cross. He didn't even seek to be the best of men, the greatest of men. He was willing to be obedient to God in suffering even to the point of his death for those who were less than him. So we have a humility of the incarnation, equality with God, I will become like the creation. And in becoming like the creation, I will give up all I have for its benefit. That is the humility that we are to walk with God in. So then, the scripture says, the result of that, for this reason, verse 9, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now catch this. Because he humbled himself, God exalted him. Just what the scripture says to us. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. That is our example. We are not seeking to be great for God. We're seeking to be a servant of God. To serve God's people. And in that, God will take notice. And He will promote. Uh, Self-promotion is not the direction of our life. So God exalted Him so that we would follow that. And Paul then says to them these words. He says, so you, uh, so you then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not in my presence only, how much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Because God is at work in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So do these things without grumbling and disputing, so that you may demonstrate yourselves to be blameless and innocent, Children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. And if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I will rejoice and share my joy with you all. You too. Rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. So again, he's got this idea of community. We serve one another. We care for one another. We suffer with one another. And in doing so, we await the exaltation of the Lord. So this walk that we are to walk is a walk of humility. I've been listening, actually reading 
on Facebook and some of the religious pages, particularly among Messianics. Some of the most vile, obnoxious, egocentric, uh, self-righteous, self-promoting statements I've ever seen. It is unbelievable what is going on by these, uh, these people who think that they are spiritually mature. And in fact, they're not mature at all, let alone spiritual. So what does Paul tell us to do? Chapter 3, uh, verse 12. Actually, I want to pick it up uh, before that. Uh, Chapter 3, verse 1. Sorry, I went to the wrong spot. Finally, brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write these things to you again is no trouble to me, but it's a safeguard for you. We have to be reinforced. Beware of the dogs. He's not talking about whoop, whoop, dogs. He's talking about unbelievers. Beware of evil workers, beware of false circumcision. For we are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Jesus Christ and put no confidence in the flesh. Now he's not talking about being Israel. Circumcision is a statement that is used of both Jews and Gentiles when it is a circumcision of the heart. Paul uses circumcision of the heart rather than circumcision of the flesh when he's talking about a humbleness and a softness towards God. We are the true circumcision. The real circumcision is that which is of the heart. In the same way that the true baptism is the baptism of the Spirit, which water manifests. And so he is talking about the spiritual essence here. He says, Though I myself might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I more. So he says, I could... I could brag about who I am. I could do just the opposite of what Jesus did. And instead of humble myself, I could exalt myself. And if I did, I'd have some merit. So here's his merit. Circumcised the eighth day, exactly the way the law says. Of the nation of Israel. I'm one of the chosen people. Of the tribe of Benjamin, the beloved tribe. A Hebrew of Hebrews. I know Hebrew, I speak Hebrew, I know it all. I am the cream of the crop in this people. As to the law, a Pharisee. I'm in the strictest group with regard to the law. As to zeal, I persecuted the church. As to righteousness on the basis of obedience to the law, I'm blameless. Wow. Paul obviously wasn't an evangelical. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. Now let me tell you what he's talking about here. He's saying... If you compare all of that that I've just said, and you put, up a, put it up against the knowledge of Christ, it becomes garbage, or this word can be used of animal excrement. Now that's been preached as if that's what his righteousness was. That's not true. Paul did not cease to be a Jew. 
He not, did not cease to be of Israel. He did not cease obeying the law. He did not cease being a Pharisee. But in comparison, it meant nothing compared to the knowledge of Christ. Because without the knowledge of Christ, that all means nothing. That's what he's saying. Our tendency is to think, I'll sin, I'll, I'll be meaningless, I'll do nothing so that grace may abound. And that's not it. Paul says, God's grace worked in me. I labored more than anybody. It was not me, it was God's grace in me. God is in you, both to will and do of his good pleasure. People often tell me, oh, you're getting into all this stuff because you're trying to earn your salvation. You guys know me. I'm in no danger of earning my salvation. That's not the issue. The issue is this. The grace of God that has come to me when I've seen what I was and what I am apart from God's grace drives me further and further to grow in grace and in knowledge of the Lord and in obedience to Him in that content. So he says, I, I want to be found in Him not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, which is what he has, but that's not what he's claiming. But that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death so that I will be able to attain the resurrection of the dead. He wants the better resurrection from the dead. Now Paul was quite significant in the movement of this faith, but he was also one who was the most maligned inside and outside. So he reminds us that you're not going to arrive in this life. Verse 12. Not that I have already obtained or have already become perfect or complete, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Now I've used this example before. I, I want you to catch it. Uh, I always do it myself and I don't want to do it that way. So if I grab Mike's hand and I grab him here and I'm pulling him out. If he grabs on to me, he can, he can come out of that chair better than if I just pull him out. That's Paul's argument. He has grabbed on to me. And I am grabbing onto him to get where he's taken me. And that's the energy to obey him and to walk in his way and to even suffer because I have grabbed hold of that for which I have been grabbed hold of for. And that's his point. So he says, Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, that's the world and its ways. And reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And now he commends that to us. Verse uh, 15. Let us therefore, as many as are perfect, have this same attitude. What attitude? The attitude that was in Christ. The attitude that now Paul is saying is in him. Uh, and if you in any way have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. You notice that? Every once in a while, you get a humbling by God. 
You're walking in here. You're doing all right. It's like that guy that was voted the most humble in the church and was given a, a badge that said most humble. And the next week they took it away from him because he wore it. You know, it, It's very hard to stay humble. Humble is not to deny what you do. It's to realize that it came to you from God. What do you have that you didn't get from God? So why do you boast as if you created it yourself? If you have a talent, if you have ability, that's a gift of God for you to use for others. It's not for you to use to bring glory and honor to yourself. But our culture says, oh, you can be the next idol. So he says, however, let us keep living by the same standard to which we have obtained. I want you to catch that. The standard by which you have obtained. If you've ever done any weight training or you've done any kind of discipline, um, uh, sport or discipline, you know that there is a level that you attain and then you stretch yourself. And then you reach a new level. And then you stretch yourself and you reach a new level. And the scripture says we are to exercise our gifts according to the measure of our faith, the level that we have attained. We're not supposed to try to do things that are beyond us. We are to do the things at the level that it can be routine and we're capable of. We're competent and we're capable of this level. He says, keep doing that. Don't fall back from that level. And grasp for the next level. When you get to that level, attain that level. Grasp for the next level. Attain that level. And that's growing in grace and in knowledge throughout our life. You know, and I've seen these people, they've been in church 20, 30 years. They're in the same place spiritually that they were 20 years ago. They know the same things that they knew 20 years ago. They're just older. They're just slower when they get out of the pews. But they haven't grown in grace and in knowledge. We should do that till the day we die, attaining and living by the standard that we've attained. Never falling back or avoiding falling back as much as possible. So he gives us advice. Verse 17. Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. So Paul says, you have the Lord. You have those of us who have walked among you. There are others in your midst, in your fellowship, who walk in this constant maturing in the Lord. You should mark them and follow that pattern as you have. Because there are many whom I have told you often, and now I even weep about them, that they have become enemies of the cross. Their end is destruction. Their God is their appetite. What does that mean? They serve lordship. What is their lordship? Whatever the lust of their flesh. If their flesh or their attitude or their emotions say, do this, that's what they do. That becomes their God. You, you serve the God that tells you what to do. You're going to do lordship one way or the other. Either your appetite, your belly is going to be your God, or God is going to be your God. Their glory is in their shame. They kind of get a kick out of being the bad guy. And they set their mind on earthly things. But, he says, our citizenship is in heaven. 
from which we eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform this body from our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory by the exertion of the power that He can even subject all things to Himself, which is His Lordship. So the goal here is for us to grow in grace and in knowledge. Well, I'll never be perfect. No, you won't. Not this side of the resurrection. But, a, but our Father in heaven is looking to see if we are trying to grow up. Every parent loves to see their kid sitting in the car pretending to drive. Or they're in the kitchen pretending to cook. Okay? Now, you don't really want them driving. You don't really want them cooking. Because they're not good at it. But you want them to aspire to that. God wants us to aspire to holiness and righteousness out of gratitude for what he's called us to. We grab on to what he's grabbed us for so that we can say, Father, we get it. We want it too. We want to depart and be with you. We'll stay here and encourage the brethren. And in doing so, we will be like Jesus. We will be like Paul. We will be like those spiritual ones who have have walked before us, and we will humbly walk with our God. He has shown you, O man, what he requires of you. To do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Let's pray.